welcome back once again to the review show on the Coffee and Heroes podcast as we finish off 2021. We may be recording it on the 1st of March, but this is uh, releases on the 29th of December 2021. And again, this was a week that had some really big titles, lots to discuss, lots to recommend and, and chat about here. Uh, of course, it's going to be spearheaded by myself, Alan, who I own Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, and joined as always by uh, Keith for the uh, colourful cool commentary, if you will. Good evening. <laughs> that was some nice uh, alliteration there, the colourful cool commentary. I, I like it. I've watched a lot of wrestling recently, I can tell. <laughs> so, you sound a wee bit like Stan, man. <laughs> well, true believer. No, I'm not going to do a bad Stanley impression. No one needs to hear that. No one needs to hear that. But yeah, as I say, we're finished off 2021 here. So this is uh, titles are released 29th of December. Now, traditionally in the comics world, this is always a slower week. It's a week uh, in between Christmas and New Year's. There's not as many titles shipped. In fact, if I remember correctly, I don't even think we got a delivery this week. A lot of these titles we actually got in the first week of January. But we're treating them as if they came out in the 29th of December. Ooh. So, uh, I mean, but again, the, the titles are a little less this week. I mean, for me, I had 15 titles in total, um, plus two hardcovers. So the 15 titles were seven DC. So DC was my main one this week, three Marvel and five Indie. And then I had two hardcovers this week, uh, which are two of the best things I've read in recent times. One was Superman Red and Blue, which was the Superman anthology book. And the other was Spider-Man Life Story, which was Chip Zdarsky and Mark Begley's journey through 60 years of Spidey history, which was a phenomenal book as well. Uh, what were your totals this week? Uh, I had a, a much uh, a depreciated number of 19 titles. Um, DC was my main this week as well. I got eight DC titles. Uh, five Marvel titles and six indie titles. And despite that, not one of my picks this week is a DC title. Oh, dear. <laughs> Eight books in total from DC and not one of them worth an honorable mention. Well, <laughs> luckily enough, I'll mention a couple, so we're all good. But uh, Good. Yeah, no, there was still some great stuff this week. But yeah, it's always a quieter week. Uh um, in the comic industry, you know, that week between Christmas and New Year's. But um, I'm going to kick things off, actually, with an indie title. And it's uh, it's an indie title from a, a, a smaller publisher. So I'm not sure how many people would have picked this up, although I, I do remember we recommended this on the previews podcast because it just had such an interesting-sounding uh, story. But this one is called Blood on Sunset. So a brand-new number one written by Mark Anna and art by Arjuna Susini. So... Blood on Sunset, it's it's from Sourcepoint Press, and it imagines an alternate mid-century Los Angeles where gangsters rubbed elbows with celebrities, but also with supernatural monsters. You know, it's it's set post-World War II, and given it's detective hard-boiled noir mixed with supernatural stuff, it's right up my street. So, you know, all the tropes you know and love are here. You know, the hard-boiled detective with a case from his past that will always haunt him, the femme fatale, the... The dark alleyways, the long shadows, but except here you can throw in a supernatural twist and that adds an extra dimension to it, which I think makes it stand out a little bit. So um, the detective we're talking about, of course, the one with the dangerous past uh, in this tale, he's known as Braddock. And we meet him in a bar drinking his troubles away when he receives a call from an ex-girlfriend who is now Bugsy Siegel's side squeeze. So, of course, he's already the scorned lover. He's lost her to the crime boss, all that kind of stuff. But the main problem here is Bugsy has actually been killed uh, in a very bloody and gruesome manner. And she's at the scene with no clue what to do next. So, with this being an issue one, there's lots of moving parts here, you know, from the supernatural elements to 
turf wars from crime families getting ready to make their move in this sort of you know vacuum of paranoid then you have the noir elements and and it all gels really really well i thought and really nice art you know atmosphere dripping off the page again we're we're sitting here recording in march issue two has not come out yet and sometimes that is the drawback with these sort of smaller press publishers maybe their release schedules aren't quite as adhered to as you know from from the big two or from image or so forth but i'm really really looking forward to picking up number two of this so uh yeah blood on sunset number one thought it was uh thought it was a great wee book oh sounds like i missed that one on uh, i must get a wee look I must get a wee borrow off you i think that can be arranged uh and from a number one from me to a number one from you Yes, a uh, number one uh, from Marvel that I mentioned in our last podcast, and that's Avengers Forever number one. So as mentioned, this uh, is spinning out of the fantastic Avengers 50, uh, legacy number 750, the super special giant issue. Uh, and this is a new series chronicle the, adventure of, the adventures of the multiversal Avengers as they fight against the multiversal masters of evil who were introduced in that Avengers 50. Uh, the link to the 616 universe, which is very much at stake in the story, is the Robbie Ray's Ghost Rider, uh, drawn from the 616 Avengers as he discovers his mysterious destiny as the multiversal Ghost Rider, uh, the only one of, of his kind across the multiverse. And how many times can I say multiverse or multiversal in this particular review? I don't know. Um, Robbie, uh, together with a multiversal saber cop, no uh, Deathlock, finds himself on a blasted version of Earth, home to Tony Stark, the invincible Ant-Man and the Red Skull in the possession of the Venom symbiote. Uh, as, I, as I said previously, uh, you know, seeing who these, uh, you know, cross-universe heroes and cross-universe villains are is really cool. As this gets going, uh, and from the awesome cover alone, I am really excited for the various versions of our popular and maybe not so popular heroes as they build the team, which I imagine will be rotating and as they build the tail. Uh, Jason Aaron and Aaron Cooter uh, pull out a fine a fantastically dynamic first issue that promises that Aaron has got an epic sprawling saga uh, all across the multiverse planned and as an old school Marvel fan I'm hooked from issue one this is going to be an absolute blast and Aaron who has been inconsistent in Avengers uh, up until fairly recently has proven himself an outstanding other you know writer on other books like Thor and Cap Thor and Conan rather uh, and this book has I guess the promise of enough of that sort of metal attitude that, that Jason Arn embraces that I'm hopeful it'll, it will succeed. Uh, where I don't think, you know, the similarly themed Justice League incarnate has necessarily succeeded, uh, you know, in, in, in the same way. Lots of enjoyment and anticipation here. Did you pick this up at all? Nope, but after our uh, little conversation about Avengers on the previous pod and then obviously link it into this as well, this will be one uh, for me to jump onto retrospectively. I think that Avengers Forever has reached issue three now, so mm-hmm. not too much to get caught up on, but I do like Aaron Cooter's art, so that's actually a, a big draw yeah. for me there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll move away from that, and you may not be able to mention any DC titles, but I will certainly pick up that baton uh, <laughs> with Task Force Z. This is a, a British and Northern Irish podcast, so it's Task Force Z, not Task Force C. I ain't American. Uh, Task Force Z number three. This is written by Matthew Rosenberg and art by Eddie Barrows. And this, for me, is DC's silent assassin of a title. This title is fantastic and not enough people are reading it i think you know with issue three we jump straight into the aftermath of the big reveal from issue two 
Deadshot is back. You know, you might remember from Tom Taylor's Suicide Squad run, he made a big deal about killing Deadshot off. I love to see some uh, cross-continuity of titles. And uh, Deadshot is brought back to life in this one, and he is joining the team. The only problem is his first impression is shooting Jason Todd in the chest, although who hasn't wanted to do that, you know, let's be honest. But we kick things off with Jason being saved and then having to integrate Deadshot into the team, you know, while attempting to hold no grudges, of course, as well. Um, you know, this was another fantastic issue for the series. The general concept is excellent. The execution is even better. You know, there's there's horror moments in this. There's comedic moments. There's tons of great character interactions. Again, as I say, we have a decent amount of people in store with this in their pullist, but I can't help but feel it deserves a much bigger audience. I I think Rosenberg, you know, he's always been one of our favourite writers. He He's doing great stuff now at DC. He's done brilliant stuff at Marvel the last few years. We've always tried to jump on and push and recommend as well. And he's so skilled at revelations, I think. And, you know, we learn by the end of issue three who's really behind putting this team together. It ain't Amanda Waller. And to be honest... If I gave you 100 chances, you'd never guess who it was. But it also makes complete and utter sense. So, yeah, Task Force said, as I say, just such a fun title. And it's a lot darker than a lot of DC titles uh, have been. You know, it is it is a zombie book. It is a, a, a violent book. It is, you know, not necessarily heroes that you're rooting for. But at the same time, it's it's starting to give them redemption and so forth. But, yeah. Big, big fan of this title, and again, not enough people are reading it. So, Task Force said, number three, my second honorable mention for 29th of December. And Is that a is that a prestige book? or Nope, that is just a normal-sized title. It's not even Black Label, it's just me and DC. And there's actually going to be links. I'm a little bit ahead of this now, I'm at issue five. There's actually links to the main Batman title as well. This is a great book for tying in continuity strands in the DC universe. You know, we, we've always said it that Marvel have always been better at tying in continuity to their books, whether it's because a majority of them are set in New York or, you know, there's always a lot of cross-continuity in Marvel books. In DC, you don't always get that. But Task Force said really pulls threads. You know, there's links in this book to Joker, the James Tinian run. There's links to, the, to, to Batman and A-Day and, you know, the death of mm-hmm. Bane and stuff like that. There's links to that Suicide Squad run. So, yeah, I just think this is a great book. I think it's 12 issues. It doesn't state explicitly in the title the way, say, DC vs. Vampires does that it's 12. But I have a sneaky feeling this is 12 issues. And, yeah, strap yourself in. It's uh, Strap yourself in for the ride. It is great. So, yeah, Task Force said number three. So, moving away from DC and back into the world of indie. What do we got? We've got Once in Future number 23 from Boom. Uh, and this one is a quieter issue with less action and more character work. Um, but the creative team gives it their all and reminds the reader why Once in Future is one of the best books on the racks at the minute. That said, the Gillen Mora Bond villain epic about the power of story is probably now so narratively dense and complex of character that I would find it difficult to recommend it to new readers who were unwilling to pick up the trades, though. Why wouldn't they pick up the trades? Because it's absolutely bloody fantastic. Um, Master scribe Kieran Gillen is reaching into Britain's mythical past to present us with two versions of Arthur, that of uh, Thomas Payton's romantic uh, Le Mort d'Arthur, and that Arthur is the more acceptable, sanitised version when set against the Druidic pagan otherworld version of Arthur, originally raised by the white supremacists way back at the very beginning of this fantastic tale. Um, But uh, they're, they're... 
they've set up camps and they're they're pitted against one another. This is all set against the backdrop of Bridget, who is still one of the most fantastic characters created in comics in the past couple of years, uh, being held at rifle point by her estranged daughter, Mary Nimue, sometime Guinevere, depending on her role in the story, who is desperate to save her own son, her version of Galahad, who's now an undead worm-eating centaur, uh, uh, to save him from the story that he's become trapped in. Uh, the other group then, including Rose's parents, are at the Grail Castle playing out the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, and our crew is trying to access the armory of Britain's greatest ever monster hunter, William Shakespeare. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot going on, and as mentioned, this was a quiet issue, but it's perfectly balanced, and it's made into a gorgeous visual treat by one of the, the, the best creative teams in modern comics. What did you reckon? I mean, that says it all. This was a quiet issue, and just look at how much <laughs> is going on. Yeah, I, I I fully agree that this is not a title you can really jump on now. This is there's so much mythology building, so much world building, so much character building. The character dynamics have shifted all over the place. You really do need to be on this from the start. But as you say, why wouldn't you be? It's consistently one of the most beautiful issues on the racks. It's got interesting characters, and again, it's it's worth reading just for Bridget on her own, let's be honest. Uh, just a great, great character. But I have a sneaky feeling Once in Future might be coming to an end relatively soon. I would I would estimate maybe around 30. Yeah, the stakes are certainly rising and uh, moving in that direction as if we're as if, as if we're hitting the, you know, the back third, uh, for sure. Um yeah, but then yeah, I mean I suppose we had the we had the time jump, you know, and sorry, the, 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 the time, sort of a time jump and the change in status quo. Uh, that was an issue 18 that's the thing that felt like the midpoint to me so yeah maybe 30 i don't know i'm just i'm just speculating more than anything but you know i sometimes you can have too much of a good thing i think like when i i finished off die recently of course another kieran gillen joint um 20 issues was perfect you know and i thought that Mm -hmm. series ended really really strongly so and just from a store point of view as well, this is something I've noticed certainly since The Walking Dead finished. It's so much easier to recommend titles to new readers that have finished. You know, mm. see, see if you're recommending something to someone and it's it's still ongoing, for example, and they're not really single issue readers. I feel it can put them off because they think, well, when's this going to be finished, or mm-hmm. when I'm when am I going to be able to get a conclusion, sort of thing, you know? So. Um, so yeah, once in future, if I if I had to guess, maybe around thirty would be uh would be the right time to. Wrap <laughs> I'm it very up. glad it went beyond its initial six, though. Well, that's also true. I remember when it was solicited <laughs> as one of six. So, uh, but yeah, as Keith says, if you're not on this title, the trades are widely available, and it is a brilliant story, more than worth worthy of your time. So, from one indie title to another, but we're moving from Boom to Image Comics. And uh, next up for me is Stray Dogs, Dog Days number one. So, it is written by Tony M. Fleeks and art by Trish Forstner. So, same as the original Stray Dog series. And this is a follow up to that surprise horror hit of last year. Um, but it's not actually a sequel, it's a prequel. Uh, it fills in the blanks of how all the characters introduced in the series ended up at their new home. So, in a sense, it's uh, a title that's definitely going to give you heartbreak, you know, strap in. Because we all know the endings for each of these characters and these individual tales are going to be bittersweet. And I use the term bittersweet because, of course, there's tension in knowing where all the pups are going to end up. You know, essentially, Stray Dogs had, to, to give you the crux of the story of Stray Dogs, it was essentially a serial killer was basically killing women but then abducting their pets and then he was keeping all the pets and then but they had no memory of how they got there 
then they slowly start to remember what had happened to their owner and so forth. Um, but again, I use bittersweet because, as I say, you know where they're all going to end up in the darkness of that. But you also have the joy of seeing these these little pups happy with their original owners. But with this first issue, there were six short stories in total, uh, all perfectly drawn by Trish Forstner in that they're cute and colorful one minute, but the move into horror and peril is seamlessly executed. You know, sometimes all it takes is one panel to completely turn the story on its head. This is only going to be a two-issue, um, so issue two is going to cover the rest of the characters, and you just know that's going to be another emotional roller coaster of an issue before we get the uh, the inevitable sequel. I would say because this was a runaway success. Uh, runaway dogs. Uh, more bad, <laughs> more bad puns going by the minute. I think you, I think you surprised yourself with that one, Alan. I think I did. I think I did. But yeah, Stray Dogs is a great book. Uh, the first uh, volume is available, of course, in trade. And then this is, as I say, as a wee two oversized issues just filling in some of those blanks. So, yeah, really, really dug this and uh, really recommend the original series as well, uh, which is always pitched as Silence of the Lambs meets uh, Disney. So how can you not love that? But away from Image and back to the House of Ideas, speaking of Disney, I suppose, in a way, um, what's up for us next from Marvel? Uh from Marvel, I have The Death of Doctor Strange number four, which is uh, the fourth issue of a five-part uh, a five-part miniseries. And this penultimate issue uh, of what has proven to be an absolutely entertaining Jed McKay uh, offering with pencils by uh, Lee Garbett. Uh, it, the conceit has the, the time capsule 1960s Doctor Strange investigating the murder of this modern, of his modern day self in the week that this younger, more arrogant, more self-assured version of uh, of the good doctor has been given to complete the task. It's a really cool, uh, it's a really cool concept that, that Doctor Strange set aside a week of his life just in case he should ever be killed and needed the best man to investigate the, <laughs> to investigate the death. Um, uh, so, so clever. It's smoothly written and completely jammed with fantastic moments and the dichotomy of this hammed up era accurate version of Strange in our current timeline and there's a lot of magical threat from the the mother's three and the peregrine child uh really really creepy villains as well as the falling of the magical barriers around earth that comes with the death of dr strange and the implications around that and those are largely dealt with in connected one shots but as ever character is at the core of what mckay is doing here uh, particularly steven's connection to our modern day wong and clea and it's those character connections that makes the book so compelling. Uh, Garbet, it has has fantastic attention to de- detail and his style perfectly suits and in some ways defines the tone of the tale. It's clever, it's entertaining, it's for existing fans of Strange or newer readers and will definitely be one to pick up and trade if you've made the mistake of missing the singles. Have you made the mistake of missing the singles? Absolutely not. No, I have read this all the way to its conclusion. Uh, and I've Brilliant. very, very much enjoyed it. I mean, Jed McKay is, again, we've discussed it at length. He's very much becoming one of the rising stars and one of the pillars of Marvel at the moment. And Lee Garbett, I, I mean, I've loved his art already through um, Shadecraft and through another mm-hmm. title called Skyward as well through Image Comics. So great to see them on a, on a bigger title with one of the big two as well. So, yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been... I don't know what it is. I mean, I really like Doctor Strange as a character, even though he's the magic version of Tony Stark. And I, I find his arrogance endearing as opposed to Tony Stark's, which I just find annoying. I don't know what it is. <laughs> They're almost the same character, except it's one's a man of science and one's a man of magic. But well, uh, 
I mean, maybe, maybe. Hence why they've uh, obviously had that rivalry for so long as well, you know? The, uh, I think that even just the turns of phrase that the 60s era Doctor Strange uses, you know, zounds and all sorts <laughs> of... <laughs> very, very good stuff. But yeah, what was great about this title in general, not just issue four, but the title itself, is that, you know, I, I haven't really read any Doctor Strange titles in quite some time, but I, I felt like I could just slip straight into this. You know, it was very well written for, for newer readers, I thought, or, you know, people with maybe slightly less knowledge. So, uh, you know, again, that's testament to, to Jed McKay and how sort of user-friendly his work is and how he makes it easy for the layman like myself. So, uh, but yeah, it ends very, very well as well. And then again, as we're recording this first of March, there's a, a new title coming out called Strange this week, which of course is, you know, a spinoff from the events of the death of Doctor Strange. So one to keep an eye out for there as well. And mm -hmm. sticking with Marvel for my last honorable mention for this week, and we're checking in with Devil's Reign. And this is issue two out this week. Uh, Chip Zdarsky, of course, writing this Daredevil-centric event. Uh, Marco Cicchetto providing the pencils and... I thought issue two continued to build off the great foundation laid by number one. You know, it it sometimes can be hard to shake the feeling that this is uncomfortably close to Civil War, especially as I read Civil War recently, as I read through the <laughs> Brubaker run. But uh, but I have to say, this is actually gripping me more. But I don't know if that's because I have more endearment towards Daredevil as a character. I don't know if it's because I prefer the street-level nature of it as opposed to, you know, with Civil War, it felt bigger. And that's not to say mm. this is small, but I don't know, there's just something a bit more personal about this. But, you know, issue two sort of personified this for me a little bit because issue two is essentially a series of small moments because there's a huge cast to check in with here. You know, we, we see Iron Fist being arrested, even though he's not indulging in any vigilante activities. We see Reed and Sue are in prison and not immune to attacks from other prisoners. Ben Riley, Spider-Man, is arrested. Electra pays a visit to Fisk where Fisk reveals he knows a secret of hers. And Fisk is in full confident mood here and preparing for his endgame already. He's controlling the Purple Man's powers. He plans to coerce people, essentially, into voting for him um, by sort of taking over their mind. You know, Dr. Octopus, under Fisk's employ, is still in the Baxter building, has access to all of Reed's experiments, and is bringing back the Superior Four. There, there's so much going on in this, but it's building really nicely. Even though these are all just small moments, you get a nice tapestry from them. You know, you never feel like they're just you know, inconsequential moments, you know, and it's it's also a rare Marvel event for me anyway, where I've been reading and enjoying all of the tie-in issues, you know, I've been reading Villains for Hire, I've been reading Superior 4, uh, I've been reading Winter Soldier, this week Spider-Man is out, second part of X-Men, X-Men number one was great as well, so, you know, I'm sure we'll discuss more of Devil's Reign over the coming weeks, but I think this series has got off to such a great start uh, so far, two issues in. Yeah, really enjoying it. Uh, agree with those uh, comparisons to, to Civil War. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really well put together. It's a really well put together series. It's interesting in watching Zdarsky write some of those other characters that he maybe isn't as familiar with, or certainly isn't hasn't written before. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got no doubt that the Beyond Corporation will have Ben Reilly Spider Man bailed out in no time. Um, but I'm, I love the I do love the what has precipitated. The event, you know, the idea that Kingpin isn't in control of his own mind uh, because Daredevil has used, uh, you know, a, a, a tool to remove his identity as Matt Murdock from Kingpin's mind and his files and everything. And that frustration has led Kingpin then to use Purple Man's powers to take other people's 
uh, ability to choose away. Uh, you know, it's it's really it's, it's very interesting and yeah, very very good stuff. Very enjoying it, enjoying it. Uh, though I have to say, you know, there's there's a couple of wee sort of events going on, uh, we sort of line and line events um, going on at the minute. In particular, you know, the slightly less uh, glitzy Reckoning War and Fantastic Four, which actually has my attention attention more than Devil's Reign. Well, I'm sure we'll get on to that in the coming weeks as uh, Reckoning War has even brought me over to Fantastic Four as well. Oh, interesting. Um, but it's good with, uh, just to finish off on Devil's Reign, what I like about it as well is that it's very much indicative of um, Zdarsky's entire Daredevil run in that he is just as interested in Wilson Fisk as he is in Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. You know, his yeah. Daredevil run could almost just be called Daredevil Kingpin. You know, because he's mm-hmm. focused so mm-hmm. much on both of them, and Devil's Reign is is definitely the same. So, so yeah, this was the week of Devil's Reign number two, and again, uh, definitely worth an honourable mention there for me. So, before we jump into picks of the week, why don't we have one last honourable mention then from yourself? Yes, indeed. For me, it's it's Image, uh, and it's Echolands number five. Um, if you haven't read Echolands at all, it's one of the most gorgeous and certainly the most experimental comics uh, on the shelves today. Uh, in this particular issue, writer-artist G.H. Williams III and co-writer Hayden Blackman continue to experiment with panel layout by splitting the already horizontal pages in twain, each half telling a different narrative, alternating between our protagonist, Hope Redwood, and her group, a thief, a vampire, a gangster, an elf, and like a troll, ogre thing. Um, they're healing and resting up at the metaphysicist sanctum and rabbit, uh, who was separated from Hope in the other's last issue, is rescued by a giant, giant Transformer-like robot named uh, Ryoshin. Ryoshin takes Ray, Rabbit to his island home, where Rabbit will stand before the Bansho. It's the, the hive mind of, the, of the, the robot land. The overarching story of the book itself is fairly linear, uh, keeping a powerful gem that can destroy the world from the hands of an evil wizard who rules that world. But in this genre-hopping world, there are hundreds of lands. There's a black-and-white land of vampires and werewolves called Horror Hill, a land of robots, a lost Romanesque island, uh, a land of, like, old Chicago from the 20s, all that sort of stuff uh, that the characters are having to navigate through their quest. It reminds me a little of a role-playing game called Torg that did something very similar. You know, you could have a hero who was from the Wild West up against villains from the far future and, you know, or a hero heroes who are from different... Uh, genres you know working together but this particular issue is a little quieter like that uh, last issue of once in future given us and given the characters time to to breathe and process everything that's happened in the first four issues it's a, it's a great device the artwork is absolutely astounding here uh just just there's nothing touching it the the balance of characters each drawn in a different style uh, a jam-packed infinitely varied backgrounds and the way the the, the styles and the, the, the page setups are, are uniquely used. It's really the only thing coming anywhere close to to all the variety of, of, of Mike Huddleston's art styles and decorum. And it's just a, an absolute joy to behold. Uh, what do you reckon? You on Echolands as well, are you? Yeah, I've been on from the start as well, just because of that uh, individuality of it, as you say. It's, you know, I, I mentioned before, certainly in a previous pod, about Batman One Dark Knight being very cinematic because of that larger, you know, scale and double page spreads and stuff. I mean, this took it to an even more extreme because it's like Ooh. the longest widescreen display you'll ever see in comics. I was, again, slightly nervous that it might just be a little bit of a ploy, a little bit of a. 
gimmick yeah you know it, it wouldn't really suit the story so to speak but it now you can't imagine reading the story in a normal comic way because it really does suit the suit the story i suppose but uh yeah absolutely gorgeous book as well they've been releasing these raw cut editions as well which is the original pencils before inking and coloring and stuff and the detail the patience it must take and the skill it must take to produce a book like this i get the feeling this has been worked on for years rather than just like mm. this was an idea that started six months ago you know yeah something special it is it really is Oh, big time and it'll be an interesting book when it comes out I, I would imagine it'll be a gorgeous hardcover uh similar to something like the private eye that came out you know just big hardcover book you know, be, yeah definitely one to keep an eye out for it'll be a nightmare to display in the store but it's uh <laughs> it's it's worth it always annoys me in the bookshelves in the store when you have these widescreen type issues that just sit out further uh, uh, they almost yeah. need their own section but yeah brilliant book and that is uh echo lands and it was issue five that hit on the 29th of december so that is uh an end to all of the honorable mentions for that week so we'll just finish off as we always do with a pick of the week from this week and again there tends to be a few more spoilers here and yep yeah, we're we're stereo very stereotypical this week uh, and I'm going to kick things off with DC, but alas, it is not a Batman title either. This week for me, pick of the week is Swamp Thing Green Hell number one. So, you know, we're we're in a golden era of Swamp Thing content at the moment. You know, the stuff Ram V and Mike Perkins are doing on the main title is superb. Mm-hmm. And this is completely different, but just fits the character so, so well as well. So Swamp Thing Green Hell number one, it's written by Jeff Lemire and art by Doug Manke. And this was such a first issue. You know, it's it's such a shame that you dismiss silly-sized books at the announcement point <laughs> because, because this was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and as a Swamp Thing fan, I think you're really missing out. And someone who enjoys sort of environmental issues being brought into comic books, I think you're definitely... This is definitely one you'll get pick up and trade at the very least. But with Swamp Thing Green Hell, humanity has reached its extinction point. You know, what is left of humanity is confined to small encampments around the world. You know, it's even reached the point where the rot has nothing left to feed upon. And in their wisdom, the elemental parliaments have decided that the slow death of humanity should be sped up. So they're going to create a brand new swamp thing to finish wiping out humanity completely. But there are some humans that remain that are determined to continue their existence. You know, they've built settlements where they can. They've fortified as much as possible to protect themselves. But of course, as we know from every story from The Walking Dead to any other end of the world story, of course, humanity still can't get along, (laughs) you know, even when faced with the extinction of their species with harder systems set up between or sorry, with barter systems set up between settlements. And of course, there's bullies running around threatening people if they don't pay up. You know, it asks it really does ask the question, is humanity even worth saving? Even when faced with their own mortality, they still can't get along. But can they even save the world when it's reached this point? You know, what lengths should they go to? And is it worth letting in the devil to save the world as we know it, if you will? There's a reveal late in this issue that just shows the confidence the creators have in this story. And it is a genuine hell yeah moment. Um, the art is phenomenal as well. Doug Manke is able to he's able to balance sort of the quaint and detailed settlements with ridiculously heavy horror imagery and full on bloody action sequences. These are seriously some of the most brutal sequences we've seen in, in recent DC issues, and the title is more than worthy of its uh, black label status. There's there's great character work here as well. The main character is uh, um, is called Donald. He's always there to reassure his daughter that everything is going to be okay. 
you know, he feels like a fully formed character already. And and this powerhouse creative team, as I say, they are at the top of their game here. They have full confidence in in this title. You know, Jeff Lemire, he, he spun one of my favourite ever Animal Man runs during the new 52 era. And there's actually a lot of links to that as well, which is going to, you know, reward long-time readers. Overall, just an absolutely essential title. It's a perfect bedfellow for Ramvey and Mike Perkins. Excellent run, you know, given the tonal differences and different set of characters at play. The two titles will never step on each other's toes, but I would argue they're of the exact same quality. Phenomenal mm. book. I have read this three times. And wow. given the size of our pull lists, we do not have time to read things three times. <laughs> but I read it twice, reviewed it, and then as I reviewed I was like, I need to read this again. Honestly, if if there was one book that was gonna, you know, take you away from your strict no black label books, it's this one. I will throw you this tomorrow. I've got it in the store. I will throw you my copy tomorrow. It is so good. So, All right. So good. Okay. Cool. Uh, so I mean, I, I, it sounds really, really good. Um, sounds very good. I have the same problem with the black label Prestige Plus as you would have displaying Echo Lands in the store. Yeah, that is absolutely <laughs> fair absolutely fair so so if we're we're being stereotypes here and it's a dc title for me it must be a marvel title from you as you say we are sticking to our stereotypical rules for our picks this week because timeless number one uh or the one shot uh it's a special year ending uh one shot from the house of ideas uh was absolute grist for the mill for any marvel fan fielding lots of surprises and glimpses into the coming year or so of marvel storylines some familiar and already in the offing, others coming completely out of left field. Whenever I saw this, obviously I was going to buy it. You know, the, the creator on it, the creators on it, the the, the one shot nature, the, the nature of the characters involved. But you know, you were sort of you were sort of going, oh, well, this is this is important because Marvel says it's important. But once you read it, you go, oh, this is just this is just cool. So significantly, Timeless was penned by Jed McKay, second mentioned this week. Uh, who hand-in-hand hand with uh, Jackson and Lansing seems to be the current rising star at Marvel. Uh, coming off the back of a packed career of kid, Canadian kids' TV writing, uh, McKay in short order has made a splash with Black Cat, including shepherding the Infinite Destinies crossover, uh, taking the reins of the wildly successful pre-Disney TV show Moon Knight, killing Doctor Strange in his recent uh, fantastic death of many, as mentioned earlier, and following up with the new Strange ongoing would it be a lazy comparison to see him as an early stage Joshua Williamson? What do you think? Mm, he might be on to something. Might be on to something. Mm. Um, Kang, as a character, has been fairly pervasive in comics recently with Jackson Lansing's uh, miniseries, uh, which makes a perfect accompaniment to this particular one-shot, as well as his, Kang's introduction, introduction as the new MCU Big Bad at the end of the Loki TV series. But uh, he's looking great here with... Uh, artists group or, 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 you know, art team, Kev Walker, Greg Land, Jay Leistein, Mark Bagley, of course, and Andrew Hennessy taking their turn at Marvel's Time Lord as he battles time itself to retain the future that he has fought and conquered to build. The story revolves around Kang the Conqueror and an academic named Dr. Petrov who studies supervillains and has written a book about doom with Kang displeased by the praise heaped upon his potential ancestor, kidnapping and dragging Petrov through timelines, investigating and fighting to destroy pirate timelines, which is a really cool concept, all the whilst showing Dr. Petrov his superiority. As the story, which would seem to be particularly new reader friendly uh, and a perfect jumping on point for uh, many Marvel titles this year, progresses, 
we get glimpses in time rendered by various members of the art team uh, and those those glimpses tease events that readers will get to read in this coming year. There are hints and glimpses through the eyes of many characters uh, and teams that will capture the interest of many readers. This is like a, a tour of the, the Marvel Universe of, of heroes. So fun to look at and really gets you ready for the upcoming year of, uh, of Marvel Comics. As far as the story, uh, McKay does an excellent job of writing this this duo. Dr. Petrov's narrative in the background throughout the issue was really, really fascinating. It's a tool that's reminiscent of Tom King's fantastic Supergirl mini, where uh, where the alien girl Ruthie, you know, who Kara is escorting as the as the point of view character. Um, Petrov gives his opinion on how he views Kang the Conqueror and how that changes, you know, across the story. Uh, and this really gives a good insight into both, you know, for both new and old readers to put in perspective of what kind of a, a villain Kang is and how he thinks and why he does the things he does. There are some surprise guests that really added to the story. Um, it added to the timeline snapshots that we get earlier in the issue to make readers really question, you know, what is coming up for Marvel events in the next year. I'd say that this is a must read Marvel comic for old and new fans alike and connects very well to the, as I said, to the recent Jackson Lansing five-parter uh, Kang the Conqueror to paint a full picture of the Conqueror. Uh, plus, who doesn't love those little teases of what's to come and that final page turn is a doozy. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Uh, did you read this? I have not read this shit, but there's a very good reason why I have not read this shit, and that is because this became one of those issues that, you know, was basically speculated upon the day of release. It became one of those issues right. that people were picking up, you know, starting points for Marvel storylines, first appearances, stuff like that. And uh, we sold out of it really, really quickly. But Marvel mm. did jump on the second print uh, run for it. And I actually have, interestingly enough, it may be two months later, but I have a second print arriving this week so I can finally oh, read good, the thing. Good. Uh, so I did um, genuinely I want say, to read it. I was going to say I was, I'll, I'll bring my issue in for you, but uh, if you've got second print coming... Uh, that's awesome but yeah great great book great book really really compelling stuff yeah it's always good to good to hear with those one shots when they're sort of setting up new stories that they're as user-friendly as possible because mm. it, you know you your marvel fan or your dc fan they're probably going to be in it for the next year anyway they'll be excited to see what's to come but it's it's those new readers you want to interest and you want to just feed enough breadcrumbs to that they want to see what's going to happen next so it's and again we, we've spoken about it before Jen mckay is just such a a user-friendly reader or sorry user-friendly mm -hmm. writer you know he 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 takes simple setups good character work and draws you in so uh certainly with his influence on this i'm sure that's why it stands out quite a bit as well but a uh, little rotating uh a rotating amount of artists there i mean does is that jarring at all through the issue or is it well laid out the way it's done yeah it's it's well laid out the way it's done because each of the uh, the artists handles a different glimpse, a different vignette, mm -hmm. um, you know. So the, the the difference you see, oh, there's there's framing sequence as well. It's all drawn by the one artist, if I recall, as well. So no, it's absolutely it's absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine. Yeah, it's, um, it's you nice. Know, whenever you see it done like that, that way. Yeah, exactly. You're not just seeing, you know, a switch page to page that sort of jars you out of the story, as you say. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, that is Keith's pick of the week then. That was 29th of December 2021, the last time we will be saying 2021 on the review show. And uh, that was Timeless number one, the uh, the one-shot sort of 
is a year end for Marvel, but also the beginning of uh, exciting things to come in 2022. So, yeah, that is going to do it for us this evening. Two weeks caught up on, but we are going to uh, adhere to a stricter schedule for the next few weeks, and we promise we are going to get caught up. It's going to take time, but we're going to get there. Uh, we get there. We will. <laughs> so thanks as ever to my uh, co-host, Keith. It has been a pleasure. Always good to just sit and chat about some comics with you. Yeah, it certainly was. Good fun. Good fun. Excellent. So as ever, guys, anything appeals to you there or you like the sound of anything or you've missed out on a title here or there, just get in touch with us and we'll always do our best to get you sorted in the store. So uh, as ever, hope you enjoyed this. Hope to prove useful and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in the store soon. So take it easy out there. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a Scannison 00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.